This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, August 20th, 2013. I'm Caleb Brown. The defenses of the NSA's broad surveillance of Americans have been at times contradictory. They've misstated facts and displayed a large measure of disregard for individual privacy. Julian Sanchez, a research fellow at the Cato Institute, discusses the NSA's missteps and the enabling behavior of the agency's overseers. The most recent uh, set of leaks uh, from former NSA contractor Edward Snowden uh, gave rise to a report in the Washington Post detailing an internal audit that found just in one year and just looking at collection at NSA headquarters and other D.C. area facilities, there were 2,776 so-called compliance incidents, violation of uh, either FISA rules, Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act rules, uh, or executive orders, other internal guidelines designed to protect privacy by limiting the acquisition, retention, and dissemination of Americans' communications. Uh, Some of these uh, seem not to have been very serious. It may involve records of being stored for a little bit longer than we're supposed to. Others seem to have been quite serious, in at least one case involving uh, the intermingled collection of foreign and domestic communications. Domestic communications are supposed to require uh, an individual warrant from the secret FISA court uh, in a, a kind of bulk collection program that went on for several months before the secret FISA court ruled that it was uh, both unconstitutional and deficient on statutory grounds. We don't know much more about that, but we know it's not the first time it's happened. Uh, way back in 2009, the New York Times reported that almost immediately after the FISA Amendments Act uh, went into effect, empowering NSA to do programmatic surveillance of international communications, there was an incident of bulk collection of totally domestic communications, uh, probably affecting thousands of email addresses. Uh, one of the reasons it's hard to know just what you know, two to 3,000 incidents mean is that um, when you're talking about the kind of surveillance we now know NSA is doing involving soft selectors, keywords, broad categories of communications, uh, a small error can lead to massive collection of information. So there are a couple of the incidents mentioned in this audit report that was leaked to the post um, involved what are called Boolean operator errors. That's like when you do a Google search and you go, uh, you know, search for uh, X and Y and Z um, or, you know, A or B or C. Um, and the problem there is that one of those little operators is the difference between saying, I want all the communications, you know, after midnight to Pakistan and from Los Angeles. Well, if you say or from Los Angeles, you're suddenly getting a vastly huger uh, collection of stuff. Uh, we know that in the past, some of the errors that uh, have been found involved, you know, basically a number being off and getting a much broader range of IP addresses sucked in. So you get thousands more uh, emails than you had intended to get. The machine that has been built is so powerful that a few potentially tiny errors can lead to massive overcollection. And so some people say, well, thousands of incidents relative to the millions of communications going through NSA doesn't seem like that many. Well, you know, first, that's sort of weird. I mean, the fact that they're taking in billions of communications shouldn't diminish the fact that thousands of incidents is, is actually a big number. It's like, uh, it's like saying, well, there are millions of homes in the United States. So when you count all the homes the police didn't search, 
you know, the number of homes they incorrectly searched is actually relatively tiny. It's the wrong denominator you use in assessing that, but also because a single incident could be very minor or could be quite massive. Um, the other thing we see uh, said in defense of, of, of NSA after this report is, well, it doesn't seem like there were any intentional errors. And that's problematic for a couple of reasons too. First, when we look at internal reviews in the past, it seems clear that even when there is a pretty obviously intentional flouting of the rules, as for example, when the inspector general found serious and widespread misuse of national security letter authorities to get sensitive communications records, um, it seemed pretty clear that that there had been an attempt to cover this up. Uh, but the inspector general was willing to say, well, it was we can't prove it was intentional, I suppose, because we can't read people's minds. If we look at the history of surveillance abuses, very often uh, the abusive use of information against political dissidents or political opponents of people in power uh, came from an initially legitimate investigation. And if you think about how an abuse would be likely to happen, um, you know, someone who understands that there are these audit mechanisms in place is probably not going to just sort of nakedly sit down and type in, you know, Barack Obama's email address. They're going to find a way to construct one of these very broad queries that will sweep in thousands of innocent emails and then say, well, oops, that was a mistake. And in many cases, that wouldn't even count as a compliance incident uh, if, if it's related to some kind of legitimate purpose. And they can say, well, I crafted this poorly and so there was overcollection. Um, you know, it, it's kind of the problem we saw with Stephen Glass, the famous fabulous at the New Republic. Fact-checking systems are very good at catching mistakes. They're very bad at catching people who are intentionally trying to deceive the fact-checkers and know how to game the system. Uh, and in a way, the fact that there are thousands of compliance incidents, even if maybe that's inevitable given the scale of surveillance NSA is doing is that in all those innocent mistakes, if indeed many of those are innocent mistakes, it becomes that much easier to conceal abuse and make it look like an innocent mistake. And in a way, the real indictment of the system here isn't just of NSA, but of the oversight committees. We've seen Dianne Feinstein, the probably most vigorous congressional defender of NSA's surveillance program, acknowledging that she had actually not seen this audit report and, uh, and you know, hadn't been aware of it until the Post brought it to her attention. Uh, we've seen Nancy Pelosi, another fierce defender of NSA, saying she found this all very disturbing. Mike Rogers had been aware of this report. This is the House Intelligence Committee chairman. Uh, he had been boasting on television up until this report came out uh, that, wow, they've, you know, what a great track record they have, zero privacy violations. Well, it's pretty clear that there's quite a lot more than that. Uh, it seems that in, in the eyes of many of the overseers, um, unless you know, overcollection of Americans' sensitive private communications can be definitively proved to be an intentional abuse, then that doesn't count as a violation. It's like, well, they searched your home, but they meant well, or they didn't mean to search the wrong house. Um, I think it shows the extent to which the oversight community, the oversight committees have been effectively captured by the very intelligence community they are supposed to be overseeing. They're meant to be the watchdogs, and they have turned into the lapdogs. The president sent a letter over to Congress uh, in 2011 specifically to detail some of this information. And uh, according to the Washington Post, the House Intelligence Committee then withheld that information from 
other lawmakers. Is part of the oversight problem, you said the intelligence committees here or the oversight committees are part of the problem. Uh, is, there a, is there potentially more information that uh, these individual committees should be sharing with lawmakers that they really just haven't? Well, so one, one thing that's clear, right, is that, that the Intelligence Committee in the House, at least, made a decision not to share with the full House uh, documents that had been made available for that very purpose. And so you had people voting on things like Patriot Act reauthorization or the FISA Amendment Act reauthorization um, who were not fully informed, who were, in effect, voting blind because uh, I suppose the, the committees decided that they were the guardians of this information. They were the overseers. And so other members of Congress voting on these very powers didn't need to be fully informed about how they were being used, which uh, certainly is uh, a, a pretty serious problem. More generally, you know, a lot of the oversight we're, we're told is in place that's, you know, going to ensure that no misuse is made of these programs is really Potemkin oversight. You've got very few members who actually have cleared staff who are able to meaningfully advise them about complicated areas of the law that no legislator really is going to be an expert in. Um, you've got documents that they're able to read in a SCIF or a secure compartmentalized information facility. So they've got a truck across, can't take any notes, can't bring staff with them in most cases. Um, it you know, reminds me of that, that line from the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams. You know, the, the plans were on display uh, in a basement with the lights out and no stairs in a locked filing cabinet in a disused lavatory behind a sign marked Beware of the Leopard. Um, you can say, well, Congress had the opportunity to become informed, but the practical barriers are such that, in fact, very few legislators who are, again, voting on these very powers, signing off on them, giving them democratic imprimatur, um, are meaningfully informed about how those powers are being used, about what the nature of these abuses uh, are. And indeed, uh, Ron Wyden uh, on the Senate Intelligence Committee uh, has said that what we've learned about these abuses so far are just the tip of the iceberg and that, in fact, many of the violations are much more serious than has even been disclosed to date. Julian Sanchez is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. You can read more of his work at Cato.org.